Welcome back to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill, as always. Colin, it's the second bye week of the year. Uh, that's not something that we're we're used to seeing. No, I'm very unaccustomed to this, but I'm also not complaining. No, it's uh, it's good for us. It's good for the team. Uh, a week for the players to rest and recover. Hopefully, for three us, three weeks to the, for the uh, players to rest yeah. and recover. Essentially, <laughs> being honest. Yeah, a couple uh, not too exciting games coming up against Maryland and Rutgers. No question about that. Uh, but no game this week. Uh, get some getting some time for the players to uh, kind of get healed up and get ready for the home stretch of the season. Because uh, of course. Uh, Rutgers, Maryland might not be big games, but uh, Penn State and Michigan certainly are. So, uh, a good opportunity after a tough, uh, tough game in one sense, not in every sense, but a tough game just in terms of physicality uh, and in terms of some comp- competitiveness, at least early, into the early second half uh, against Wisconsin this past week. Uh, so, we don't have a game coming up this next week, but we still have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, big win over Wisconsin. Uh, we got Heisman hype. Uh, lots of questions about that at Ryan Day's most recent press conference on Tuesday. Uh, we got college football playoff rankings coming up next week. Uh, we got the NCAA taking a step toward uh, name, image, and likeness policy. So we'll probably touch on that briefly as well. And uh, you guys asked a lot of questions this week, so we're going to get to as many of those as we possibly can. So and it's the perfect time. I, lo- I listen on, on a bye week on an off week. I don't know if we're specifically allowed to call it a bye week, but I, I like calling it a bye week. We can week. call it a bye week. Thank God. Yeah, we can call um, it a bye week. I, I like those because like it means that uh, we can expand on them, whereas sometimes I feel like we're trying to fit them in at the end before they kick us out of the library. But we yeah, got some I mean, time. there's still a good chance that'll happen once again because I think we tend, to, uh, we tend to talk a lot and we tend to uh, – uh, the end of a show tends to catch up on us pretty quick. But given that, let's, <laughs> let's, let's just get right into it right now. Uh, this game this past week against Wisconsin, uh, we thought it was going to be the toughest test of the season. Uh, I think you could make the case that it was the toughest test of the season, and yet they won by 31 points. Uh, I say you can make the case that it was the toughest test of the season because it was competitive for a half. Uh, Ohio State's offense really didn't get going uh, until you know late in the first half. They scored their first touchdown of the game. Uh, took a 10 nothing lead into halftime, but then early in the second half, first possession, uh, Buckeyes punt. Uh, the punt gets blocked. Wisconsin gets the ball around the 30-yard line. Uh, they score a touchdown uh, three minutes into the third quarter. It's a 10-7 game, and all of a sudden, uh, the Buckeyes look like maybe they're, they're in a little bit of trouble for the first time all year. Ryan Day said it this week that it was the first time the Buckeyes really had their backs against the wall this season. But then they responded. Four straight touchdown drives. Uh, J.K. Dobbins took the game over, uh, and they just pulled away. Uh, the defense dominated the rest of the way, did not allow another point. Uh, Ohio State's offense really wore down a vaunted Wisconsin defense that came into the game ranked number one in the country. Uh, in just about every major statistical category. Uh, Ohio State changed that. Uh, great performance once again for the Buckeyes on both sides of the ball. Uh, they're 8-0, and I think they made a very real case. Uh, yet again, maybe their strongest case of a year yet, that this might be the best team in the country. Yeah, it's funny because you get some time away from the game, maybe your perspective of, of the game um, increases. Like, I wish after the game I had written this, which is why it's been in my head, and it's like... This felt like the exact same game that, that we've seen um, Ohio State play throughout the first seven games, just at another level. And it seemed like 
like J.K. Dobbins, I think had his best running game of the of the season. Even though he's had more yards, I just think he was he was dominant in this game. I thought the offensive line run blocked really well in the same way that they've run blocked well throughout the season. I thought Justin Fields was really efficient. I thought he was he was solid on the ground, sort of as he's been um, throughout the season. Chase Young turns out Chase Young is good at football. He's still good at football, and he was really good at football on Saturday. I thought the linebackers and the defensive tackles against the run did exactly what they've done the first seven games. And the thing is, like this, this was sort of a, a bit of a, a step up. I mean, you saw Wisconsin's rankings coming into the year on defense, and yes, they hadn't played the best offenses, but at the same time, Ohio State hasn't played the best offenses either. So, like statistically, maybe. Like we all know what's going on uh, on on behind some of those statistics. It, a lot of it matters who you play. But Wisconsin has a really talented defense. They got a talented offensive line. Ohio State really took it to them on, on in both of those facets. Yeah, and you say it was the same game, but I still think it was a little different because it was different in how it played out. I think ultimately the result and and what what you saw from certain players was the same things that you've seen. They still had that explosive quarter where they took over the game. It just wasn't the second quarter this time. It took them until the third quarter this time to really have that explosive quarter where they just kind of took over the game. And I do think that's different because they had to go into halftime facing a little bit of adversity. Uh, you know, their offense really didn't do much. You, know, you talk about Wisconsin's defense. Uh, I know Ohio State only had 40 yards in the, in the first quarter. They started to pick it up there at the end of the f- end of the first half, and, and that got them in got them in with a 10 point lead at halftime. But you, this was this was a first game all year where there was really some question going into the second half of are the Buckeyes going to win this game? I think we had reason to be confident just because of what we've seen from them all year. But then Wisconsin goes and scores a touchdown three minutes into the third quarter. At that point, there is some doubt. I mean, if I, I think that drive, uh, Ryan Day said uh, this week that that was the drive of a game after that where Ohio State goes and scores a touchdown. And I agree with him because I think if Ohio State doesn't respond, if, if Wisconsin gets another free and out there and they get the ball, they've got a chance to go take the lead. I think maybe it's a different game. I think Wisconsin has the momentum at that point. Uh, maybe that game starts to slip away from you if, if you start to lose any more of that momentum. And I think Ohio State being able to just come right back, march down the field, take that two-score lead again, uh, they snuffed out probably the biggest biggest threat they've had all year. And from, from there on, they just rolled. And that, that seems to be what this team does. Is once, once they get an edge on you, once they sink their teeth into you a little bit, uh, they they just suck the life right out of you. It's it's once they once they get going, it, it's really hard for any team to keep pace with them. Uh, and and I do think you know even though it was a lopsided result, and that might change the way people think about Wisconsin. I do think Wisconsin is still a really good team, even if a loss to Illinois the week before. Uh, I think they are definitely the best team Ohio State has played this year. And I think that's why it took Ohio State longer to get going. You can also factor in the rain, uh, the weather. I think that played a bit of a factor as well in, in the slower offensive start. But uh, all that matters at the end of the day is that end result. And that end result looked as dominant as any game this season. I think there was uh, some some added adversity um I mean, it was clo- it was closer in the second half than, than than it has been. Obviously, Wisconsin's the the top ranked team that they've played this entire year. But at the same time, like, I think a lot of that adversity was self inflicted. I mean, you look at how their first two drives ended or stalled, I guess, because one of them happened on first down. Like one of them was 
Justin Fields fumbled on, I think that was third and five. The other time, Josh Myers just snapped the ball too early, caught Justin Fields off guard, and I think that, that put him in like a third and – I don't remember exactly, but I think it was third and long. I know that much. And they decided, decided to run the ball and, and wait for another day. Um, at no point was Wisconsin's offense getting anything, which is why, like, maybe the momentum started – they had a chance to swing the momentum a little bit in the second half. But but throughout the first half, no matter what the score was, I know it was ten to nothing. It was barely ten to nothing at halftime. Ohio State had enough talent that I, there there was really no there was no point that I was I was thinking that Wisconsin would really turn it on and have any chance unless they continued to make these self inflicted errors, which to me were um, not something that has happened the entire year. I thought that they were. I don't want to call them flukes, but it's it's stuff that we hadn't seen. It's it, it, they're these one off moments, and and to me that's the thing that that really. That's the only thing that kept him close. But you talk about that. That's kind of a measure of how good this team is because they are playing their best game of the year. You know, you have a blocked punt. Uh, I think Jim Tressel told you last year that when you block a punt, it's like grabbing the team's jugular vein. It's great, uh, yeah, it's a great it's, line. It's a game-changing you. play. I mean, that's the type of play that could have led Ohio State to start to fall apart and, and to – you know, I, I think maybe last year's team would not have responded the way this year's team. Oh, team it would have given up a ninety-seven-yard run. Too. Probably, yeah, <laughs> probably. I don't think last year's defense would have held Jonathan Taylor to what was it, fifty-two rushing yards in Saturday's game. No, that's unlikely. I gotta say. So let's just let's just start there. Let's just start there and talk about this defense then, because uh, this defense is. Now, seven straight games in which its opponents have scored 10 points or fewer. Eight straight games in which it has held its opponent under 300 yards. It's now ranked number one in the country in points allowed per game and yards allowed per play. Uh, when you think back on where this defense was last year, that's amazing. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things where it's like, they're eight games into the season at some point I feel like I should not look at what happened last year, but I can't. Like, I can't stop. I mean, last year, by this point in the year, you you thought about K.J. Hamler, you, you, or was that earlier? You thought about Artavius Pierce. Yeah, that you, was the first game of the season. That was the first game of the season. You thought about all these, I think, Rondell Moore that happened in the eighth game that, of the season. That was right around this time yeah. of the season. It's yeah. like you these, these players had gashed Ohio State. And the only play that Wisconsin really hit them for deep, arguably Jack Cohn wasn't even throwing to the receiver who caught the pass. Yeah, it looked like a really nice throw, but our, our Kevin Harris was, was showing us a video that it actually looked like he might have been throwing to the other receiver and just got lucky that the ball landed in the perfect place for the other receiver to catch the touchdown. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they had a couple big passing plays, but that was about it. And, again, talk about Jonathan Taylor came into this game. Uh, was one of the leading running backs in the country. When you can hold a guy like that to 52 rushing yards, you've been really bullish on this run defense all year. Yeah. This was probably the biggest statement yet of how good this run defense is. Let me tell you, I bought I bought low on this run defense. I'm, I'm seeing this payoff because um, John the Taylor, I mean, everyone likes to say that. Everyone everyone loved to say after the game, all the Ohio State fans love to say how much better J.K. Dobbins is than Jonathan Taylor. That's not to say Jonathan Taylor's not good. Ohio State just had a really good defense, a really good game plan, a pretty fairly simple game plan. They just had a lot of talent on defense. I mean, I thought that we might 
uh, go another week with uh, we might get back to not having to say Wisconsin center's name, but right now I sort of want to say it. Tyler Biadas. Biadas or Biada. whatever. It is. He had one really nice block. He did, but at the same time, I thought Devon Hamilton really, really owned him a couple times, especially at the very first play of the game. He knocked him backwards for about two yards and then tackled Jonathan Taylor um, immediately. I thought Devon Hamilton sort of owned that matchup. I thought Jay Sean Cornell played really well. Um, the linebackers, the linebackers ran to the ball. I mean, there was one play. I, I, I paused it and I counted. There are eight defenders at the end of the play when the whistle was blown, tackling Jonathan Taylor. Like that just didn't happen last year. These the this pursuit to the ball, the linebackers flowing downhill, the defensive tackles getting penetration, Chase Young doing Chase Young things. I think that Damon Arnett had a really strong game as an outside as an outside corner tackler. Really and good. He was really good at that in the same way that Jeff Okudu has been this entire year. Yep. I mean, their cornerbacks are great at tackling too. This run defense, I'm not sure exactly how teams are going to be able to penetrate this run defense until anybody can figure out how to pass on this team and force the linebackers to, to, to focus on that um, and maybe – Maybe then you might find some sort of openings in the uh, uh, with with runs. Yeah, I mean, you can't give enough credit to Greg Madison, to Jeff Halfley, to Al Washington, to Matt Barnes, and of course Larry Johnson for the job that they've done with that defense this year. Uh, because we saw it last year. Uh, you know, I, I I believed it then. I know it now. The problem last year was the coaching staff. The problem last year was the coaching staff was stubborn and that they didn't make the changes that they needed to make to that for their players to be able to play successfully. The problem last year was they tried to box a bunch of inexperienced players into the scheme that they stubbornly believed was best, and it didn't work, and they didn't adjust, and teams kept gashing them all year long. This year, we see a different defensive scheme every week. We're, like you said, we're seeing guys, they're playing fast. They know what they're doing. Everybody, everybody out there looks confident. Everybody out there looks like they believe they're going to go out and make plays. And that all starts with those coaches that I just named. They've done an excellent job. They also have a lot of talent to work with. We talked about Devon Hamilton. He had a great game. We talked about Damon Arnett. He had a great game. But nobody had a better game than Chase Young. And if you want to say you can't give a guy too much credit, what more can we say about him? With everything that's been said about Chase Young in the four days between the game and the time that you'll be listening to this podcast, there isn't much more we can say about him that hasn't already been said. But what a performance. Six tackles, five tackles for loss, four sacks, two forced fumbles. Chase Young's had a lot of great games, but this was one of the best games that any Ohio State defensive player has ever had. And if there was any question that this guy was an elite, elite football player, but he was one of the best defensive players in the country, that he is going to go down as one of Ohio State's all-time greats. He cemented that on Saturday. I mean, he's unbelievable. It's at, the, it's at the point where I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to say about him anymore because we've been saying the same things about him for three years now. And, like, listen, I'm, they're not the exact same, but I'm, I'm going to compare their hype a little bit. Like, I don't know if you remember when LeBron James was coming out like he was on the cover, he was anointed the king, King James at age 18, and you're like, all right, how is he supposed to live up to this hype? Like he's he completely lived up to it and he surpassed it. And when Chase Young came in, he was his five-star defensive end. I remember when 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 the media got to get, got to watch him that very first time live. There were a lot of people going, "Wow, he looks like he's already in the NFL." And it turns out like he's way better. He's he's somehow even better than than people thought that he would be. 
I remember when I got on the beat uh, two years ago, and he was a true freshman coming in. Uh, I had been covering Clemson for a couple of years, so I really hadn't followed recruiting. Um, so I didn't really know who the freshmen were coming in very much just because I, I hadn't been following it. You know, I knew who the established players on the team were, but I didn't know who some of the guys coming in. And I, I didn't know who Chase Young was when uh, the first thing I went to was Friday Night Lights uh, back when it was in the stadium. And, and I just remember seeing this 18-year-old kid who looked like an absolute grown man. And that was my first time seeing Chase Young in person. And I just remember everybody marveling at just how physically developed this 18-year-old kid was standing there in the stadium. And he's way more physically developed now. He is. <laughs> oh, he, he is. But, it's, but it just goes back to what you're talking about. It's, this is a guy that when he came in, and, and, and we could talk about this would be something you know, we could talk about in the offseason, just looking back at you know, recruits. And sometimes these guys come in with a lot of hype, and it just doesn't pay out. But this is a guy who... I mean, he's not only lived up to the hype, he's actually surpassed it. Because if you were re-ranking the recruiting class of 2017 right now, he would be the number one guy. He was a top 10 guy, but he'd be the number one guy now. If you look at the guys who were ranked ahead of him, he has totally surpassed all of them. And it's really not that close. So uh, he's, he's, he's been phenomenal. Now, the question that, now there's two questions with Chase Young that we're now asking that, that illustrate... Is the first, how good he is. Is the first one how many sacks he'll have next year? Um, if you want to, if you want to predict how he'll play for an NFL team, go for it. But the the questions that I keep asking is, is Chase Young better better than Vibosas? Which every time I start to think he is better than Vibosas, then Nick goes and does something ridiculous in the NFL. Uh, Nick had three sacks and an interception on Sunday. Joey had two sacks for the Chargers on Sunday. Uh, so I remain uncertain for the answer to this question. All I know is they're all damn good. But the other question that everybody wants to talk about right now is, can Chase Young win the Heisman? And it, honestly, when I first started hearing this on Saturday, my thought was, no, it's not going to happen. And that's not because I don't think it should happen. Because if I had a Heisman vote, which I don't, but if I had one, he would be at the number one player on my ballot right now because I do believe the Heisman should go to the best player in college football, and I do believe he is the best player in college football. But no strictly defensive player has ever won the Heisman. Uh, so I still think it's an uphill battle, but there, there does seem to be a growing movement of national media, uh, many of whom are Heisman voters, who, who believe it's time for a defensive player to win the Heisman and who believe Chase Young is the best player in college football right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't even – the question is no longer is he the best player in college football. It's, 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 can, it's, can, it's can he change enough people's minds and change what they've done the past however many years to do something that they so, so, so rarely do and actually vote for a defensive player. I, I don't know. I think they're – right now, I mean, if you look at the, the Vegas odds, it, it – they make it seem like it's very unlikely at the moment, don't don't they? I don't. It's hard to say. Um, it it's hard to say. Um, well, what are his odds right now? Do you know? I offhand? I saw one that was twenty to one. I saw another one that was twenty five to one. So yeah, that's not giving him a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, the the ground. My point is the groundswell of support initially after that game 
felt larger than it than the odds would make it seem. I also another thing that I think is, I think you could kind of be like if you're looking at an election or anything like this, where you have the people who are very vocal in support of him right now are out there saying, "I'm going to vote for Chase Young," but who are the people who are not going to break convention? It's the people who have had Heisman votes for 50 years that don't even write about college football anymore, that maybe don't even pay that much attention to college football anymore, that are going to just vote for the free best quarterbacks. It's the people in the Southeast who are going to vote for the players from the SEC and the ACC regardless of what Chase Young does the rest of the year. There's a lot... there ha- the gr- there's definitely some real support going in his direction right now. And the more I've looked at it, I, I-, I don't think it's out of the question because, uh, you know, the-, the-, the framework I've looked at was Ndamukong Sue in 2009. Uh, he- to me, not including Chase Young this year, he's the most dominant college football player I've ever seen. He finished fourth back in 2009. Uh, Monte Teo actually finished second in 2012. And I don't think there's any question that Chase Young is a better player than Monte Teo was back in 2012. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to get as much support, though. But I, I, I do think the movement is there. I think Joe Burrow, who Ohio State fans know well, uh, is the favorite to win the award. Uh, I think that LSU-Alabama game is going to have a huge impact on the Heisman race. Uh, both Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa are candidates to win the Heisman, and either one of them could have their Heisman moment in this game. But if Chase can finish the season strong, you know, I think he's got to he's got to follow this up against Penn State, against Michigan. He's got to have more big games because the the thing about uh, anything like this is everything changes from week to week, and he's got to keep his name top of mind. Is there's still a whole month of a season left to go? This one performance is not going to carry him to a Heisman. He, he's got to continue to make big plays, and especially in those games like Penn State and Michigan. He's got to make his stamp on those games to keep himself in the forefront of this race. But I don't think it's out of a question as much as I thought it was initially. I, I still wouldn't predict it to happen uh, because it is breaking precedent. But uh, I don't think it would be a bad thing to see for college football to see it happen. I think it would be a good thing for... Uh, people to open up their minds to voting for someone who's the best player regardless of what position he plays. I think he definitely has a path to the Heisman Trophy. I think that um, I think there are a few things that need to happen. I mean, one, I do think that the bye week is unfortunately timed for his Heisman Trophy race, even though it's fortunately timed for the rest of the team uh, because he felt like he, he has a lot of momentum right now. And the next two games are going to be against Maryland and Rutgers, and those aren't particularly um, difficult games for the Buckeyes. And I think you probably are going to see him exit the game by halftime in both of them. So to me, like there's going to be counting stats that I think he he needs. There's going to be turnovers that I think he needs. Um, he has five force fumbles right now. He has 13 and a half sacks right now. Like to me, I. Like as a defensive end, like I just look at the number twenty. I just think I just think like if he gets to twenty, like this is this is a totally arbitrary number because we've never seen this before. But the number twenty looks a lot better than the number eighteen and a half to voters who maybe have only seen him play in two games. So I think he's got to take advantage of these uh, the first halves of the next two games. I think he has to have one of those 
quintessential Heisman moments against Penn State or Michigan where he either sacks Shea Patterson three times as sort of like that Joey Bosa sack against Penn State. Um, something, something like that um, has to happen in those games. And then to me, uh, he, he has to have sort of the, the cards fall correctly in terms of the rest of the candidates, which like to me, like right now, I'm, like it's Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa at the moment. Like Jalen Hurts, they have to Oklahoma has to not make. They have to play themselves out of college football playoff contention, in my opinion. And also, like I think it would be very helpful if Joe Burrow lost, because right now I think Joe Burrow is the biggest competition for for that for for Chase Young. You talk about Vegas odds. Some of the odds are actually giving him a better chance than not to win the Heisman. Yeah, now. I so think he is the favorite right now for sure. I think. If Bama beat LSU, that would be helpful for Chase Young's Heisman candidacy. Unless Tua would, Tagovailoa throws for say, 500 yards. It would be very beneficial if Tua didn't play and Bama won. That would probably be the biggest boon to Chase Young's Heisman race. And these are a lot of ifs. I personally, I, I, I wouldn't pick that to happen. Do I think he's deserving? I think he's on the path to being deserving. I think he has to prove that that's four games. Like You have to be dominant, dominant. Right now, he has been. But... I, I look at the Nets two games. I wonder, I wonder how much I want. If I'm Rutgers, there's no chance I'm going to have a single drop back pass that doesn't include like literally having the quarterback ca- catching the ball and sprinting the opposite way of Chase Young. Like I, if I'm them, I just put myself in a position where he doesn't get sacked, where where the quarterback doesn't get. Well, we saw I mean, a co- couple of his sacks on Saturday. That doesn't take anything away from his performance, but there are a couple times where he had sacks where he was being blocked, single blocked by a tight end. If you're an opposing coach. Don't do that. I mean, I think in the post game in the post game press conference, he he had said something about um, about him deciding to line up wider and get himself in that matchup. But to your point, one did come against tight end, another one. Robert, I think Robert Landers had got the initial pressure and he sort of cleaned up like that. That happened, but that happens. That, that that's defense. And there's a lot of plays. If you if you go back much from there's so a lot of plays, plays where he's creating disruption that he's yes. not making visible. A lot of times he's bringing pressure and he's forcing an incompletion or he's allowing somebody else to make a play. Uh, that's just the way defensive football works. At the end of the day, you know if it, we talk about you know when we're really talking about this in the spring when he's you know in the conversation to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. At the end of the day, if you're evaluating Chase Young. It, it, he is not a hard evaluation. Uh, he, you can watch Chase Young on film, and it does not take long to realize that you are watching an elite, elite football player, um, and, and somebody who's going to rewrite the record books at Ohio State. I mean, you, you're talking about oh, he's got to get to 20 sacks, but he's already just a half sack away from Ohio State's single season sack record. He's just two and a half sacks away from the Big Ten's single season sack record. So no matter what happens. This is going to be a historic season for Chase Young, one of the best seasons we've ever seen for a college football pass rusher. And will he be rewarded with the Heisman? Uh, it's something we're probably going to be talking about a lot the next few weeks, but uh, it, it's it been quite a season for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you wrote about it after the game, that, or I think it was on Monday, about the other Heisman candidates. I don't know that they're realistic candidates, but but hypothetical candidates, J.K. Dobbins and Justin Fields. I mean, Fields. if we want to talk about odds, Justin Fields still has better odds to win the Heisman than Chase Young does. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think if you're talking realistic, I think Justin Fields at least is realistic in that sense of it. I mean, he, when you're the quarterback of one of the best teams in college football, uh, if you usually have a chance. Uh, I, I think Justin Fields is still in that mix. 
I don't think he's a front runner at this point, and I, I think a reason for that is if you look at the raw stats for Burrow and, and Hertz and Tagovailoa, uh, their raw stats are just a little higher than he is. There's several reasons for that. One reason is he, Justin's not playing full four full quarters in most games. One reason is they're handing a the ball off a lot to the running backs in the second half because they're getting off to such big leads. Uh, Justin's doing everything Ohio State needs him to do. He's playing. I think he's playing as well as any quarterback in college football. I I don't think he's going to win the Heisman. I don't think J.K. Dobbins is going to win the Heisman either. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, we can talk about him too. I mean, had, had a fantastic game, a career-high 221 yards from scrimmage. He really carried the offense on Saturday. Justin Fields, uh, I mean, Justin Fields deserves a lot of credit for his performance. Uh, again, showed his toughness. He had two passing touchdowns, one touchdown run. Uh, hurt his back on that touchdown run. Still didn't miss a play. Uh, first time playing in the elements as an Ohio State quarterback. Uh, had a few early issues with that, but got his rhythm going. Was able to make the plays they needed him to make as the game progressed. So, I mean, all three of those guys are having spectacular seasons. I think in the Heisman race, I think that could be counterproductive to all of them, including Chase Young, because people are going to have to decide which Ohio State player to vote for. Um, And I don't know if that helps any of their chances. But in terms of helping the team's chances to win the most important trophy in the sport, having three players of that caliber, you you will not find... I mean, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, all their rosters are extremely talented, but you will not find any other team in college football that has three players performing at the level right now of Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, Chase Young. Ryan Day said that should be the norm at, at Ohio State to have three Heisman candidates, but uh, guess what? Uh, it's not. No, it's not. It's it's it, it's not. I mean, I think it's the norm at Ohio State to have a lot of really talented players, but to have three players performing at the level that Fields and Dobbins and Chase Young are where they're all nationally renowned college football superstars. Uh, that's not the norm, and it's it's a big reason why this team is so special right now. Uh, one other guy I want to make sure we give some credit to on Ohio State's offense, Chris Olave made his first career start on Saturday, played a career-high 57 snaps, uh, was played in place of Austin Mack, played almost the entire game. Caught seven passes for 93 yards, both career highs, and two touchdowns. We do know he's done that before. Did that last year against Michigan. Uh, But this is a guy who just always seems to step up in the biggest games. And to me, it's become pretty clear that he's Ohio State's best wide receiver right now. Yeah, I don't even really necessarily think that's up for debate. I'm not not even really sure. When you look at the numbers, you've got him up right there. Wide receivers caught a total of nine passes on Saturday, and seven of them went to Chris Olave. So that just goes to show you right there, especially in a game where the weather was playing a bit of a factor and the offense got off to a bit of a slow start. Who was the guy that Justin Fields trusted most? Who was the guy who was getting open? Who was the guy they were going to to make plays to get the offense going? It was Chris Olave. And, and to me, it's like I think it's for a number of things, but but one thing that, that I think is a little bit interesting about this team and the thing, the thing is, like you haven't, no one's been able to nitpick the Buckeyes at all. Like try and find one weakness that has actually come back to bite them. Like it's it's, it pretty, it's pretty difficult. Um, one thing I look at, like, I'm not sure they have a ton of game breakers at wide receiver. I'm not sure they have a ton of playmakers there. That's something I remember. I remember like a month before the season, I'd asked you. I was like, they just lost 
three guys that ran four four fours or below, like is that going to come back to bite him? And right now, like it hasn't. Um, I wonder down the line whether whether that'll matter a ton. Uh, but Chris Olave is the guy who has that speed, has size. I think he's one of their better route runners. I think he's I I I think he's altogether their their best wide receiver at the moment. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think KJ Hill was the guy going into the year that was kind of. He, he was the guy last year. Even last year, if all those guys went to the NFL, he was the guy last year in a game like this that, that tended to be the go-to guy. And, and he, he really didn't have a good game on Saturday, if we're being honest. He, he dropped a few passes. Um, I, even though he still has a pretty good shot of, of becoming Ohio State's all-time leader in receptions, I think this year has been a bit of a disappointment for KJ Hill. I, I don't think it's been quite the year that, that we were expecting from him. Um you know, and so we'll see what he does down the stretch. You know, Benjamin Victor, uh, I'm I wrote about him being consistent, and then I think he has one catch in the last two games. So uh, we'll see how he does down the stretch. Austin Mack, uh, I think unfortunately for Austin, I, I I think he's just had a tough time staying healthy, um, and I think that started to take a little bit of a toll on him. So we'll see what he's able to do down the stretch of a year. But uh, I mean, really, I think the guy who everybody's going to look at here is if a game-breaker is going to still emerge from that receiving core. Chris Olave, he, he's established at this point. You mean if a, if, I, I if think, a Chris Olave is going to I think, emerge? Yes. Looking, and it, looking at what happened at the yes, end of last year. Garrett Wilson is the guy that people are going to look at is if somebody else is going to emerge as that real game-breaker type. It's Garrett Wilson. And, and Ryan Day said on Tuesday that uh, he, he thinks a good second half of the year is in store for Garrett Wilson. He, he also said that Garrett Wilson is making a quote-unquote strong move toward being the starting punt returner, and I think we're both in agreement here. Seeing him have another long punt return on, on Saturday, uh, apologies to DeMario McCall, but I think it absolutely is time to make Garrett Wilson a starting punt returner. Yeah, but I will say if that happens, I'm really going to miss the diving backwards fair catches in the rain that that like like the one that we got on Saturday. That was absolutely unbelievable. I think that you were you had your head down at the moment. I was like, Dan, you are not going to believe you're not going to believe this on the replay. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that you know Garrett has clearly outperformed Mario in, in I mean, the he, return he, game this year. He seems. <laughs> When he's back there, I think there's more of a sense of confidence that he's going to make the catch, make the right decision um, of whether to return or not. And, and truly, and even though I, I personally I thought Garrett was going to have had a bigger impact in the receiving game at this point. As did I. But he's be- he's a lot better than I thought he was going to be as a punt returner because I I didn't really think that was his game. I, I thought you know making those spectacular contested downfield catches. I thought that was his game, but I, I didn't necessarily think that. Uh, punt returning, that, that, you know, agility and speed in small areas. I didn't necessarily know if that was his game. Um, but I think he's been really impressive in that regard, taking advantage of the opportunities there. And I think uh, I, I would guess that now is the time that they make that move and Garrett Wilson becomes the full-time punt returner. But I thought they might do that a few weeks ago and they didn't. So we will see. Luckily uh, for them, they have uh, Maryland and Rutgers to test it out on. Yes, and I think a lot of guys are going to get to play in yes, those two games. And some of the questions we got to about that, a couple other things I want to talk about before we get into your questions. Uh, next week, the first college football playoff rankings of the year. 
Uh, I think we're going to do a late night or early morning sort of podcast recording next week so that we are able to talk about uh, those rankings uh, after they are revealed, which the first rankings aren't going to be revealed to about 9.45 at night, uh, thanks to college basketball. Uh, so uh, that's not necessarily ideal for us, but uh, definitely something we're going to want to talk about because we know you guys are going to want to talk about it as well. Uh, right now, uh, you know, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, they're all off this week. Clemson plays Wofford, so that's going to be an easy win for them. They look like the clear-cut top four, but in what order? What, what order do you think the top four are going to be ranked right now? Sorry, I just had to laugh at the fact that they're playing Wofford. Yes. Why are they playing Wofford? I don't know. You have to ask Dabo Sweeney about that. I might. Um, see, my, I think Ohio State will be either one or two, and I say that with a lot of confidence. I just, I, I think so too. Do you have Do you have a, Do you have an opinion on whether they'll be one or two? My guess right now is LSU is going to be one because I think their their bigger wins are going to put them in the number one spot. But it would not surprise me if Ohio State is number one. My guess right now would be LSU number one, Ohio State number two, Alabama number three, and Clemson number four. Um, I don't know how much it really matters at this point because, I mean, I mean here's the deal. Whoever wins LSU-Alabama is going to be number one after that game. There's no question about that, which is maybe a reason why they would put Ohio State number one just so that they can change it next week because they like to change right, it to you, get people you, talking. Look at you conspiracy theory over here. Um, You're I, telling I, me they don't do that. You're telling me they don't they don't change the rankings to get um, people talking. No, I'll, I'll say that I'm naive. I'll say I'm naive. Yeah, no, I – no – I understand. I understand that perspective, but but I would but no. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I feel like I feel like we're gonna need a twenty minute. Uh, yeah, I don't really want to talk one. about that. But, to be uh, honest, but. Let, let me let me make the case for for why I think Ohio State will will be number one. Um, I would say I'm sixty percent confident they'll be number one, and if not, I'm forty percent confident they'd be number two. And I'll be absolutely flabbergasted if there were anything other than those two. Um, I, I just look at the way that Ohio State has won, the way that they've been so dominant, the way that they beat Wisconsin. Um, I think I think if you look at their if you look at their entire schedule, there have only been one game, the Miami Ohio game, that was just a total 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 gimme. Um, everything else, you thought that Ohio State would win, but at the same time, it's the types of games that maybe even last year's team would have, would, have, would have struggled to win. I mean, you saw last year's team beat Maryland by one in overtime. They should have lost. Like, you see, you see really talented, really good teams win, win by small margins. And I think that the college football playoff committee will, will respect the fact that this team has dominated who they've, who they've faced thus far. Um, I think they'll look, at, they'll look at where Cincinnati is right now. They'll look at how Wisconsin has played. Um, they'll look at the rest of the schedule. I know that it, I, I, I personally, I wish that we had seen Ohio State against Indiana with Michael Penix, but they'll look at the way that Indiana has played since then. Um, I, think, I think that that dominance, that sheer dominance matters. And to me, here's why being number one um, matters, especially for Ohio State, is it means that the committee, even though LSU might have a slight, might have better big wins, the committee would really value Ohio State's dominance, and to me, that would give them 
give them give them greater hope that if they did trip up down the stretch, then they would still get yeah, it. Yeah, that's, like, that's, that's That's why number one initially to me really matters because it shows you what the committee thinks of Ohio State. No, you're right. You're right. It does it does matter in that regard in terms of the leeway they have. I mean, like I said, uh, I mean, I, if, it, if it was up to me, I would argue if they should be number one. I do think they've been the most complete team. Uh, I do think that whoever wins LSU versus Alabama is going to be number one after that game. Yep. Uh, I'd be shocked if it was any other way. Uh, we're, we're just going to have to see. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about on that regard next week. Uh, I do think those are going to be top two, uh, even though Alabama and Clemson are the returning teams. I think uh, if you look at the resumes right now, I think Ohio State and LSU are the two most impressive. Um, Alabama and Clemson, both those teams. They went out there in all four of those teams. There's no question about that. Uh, and Penn State, you know, they're lurking, but I'd be really surprised if they were in the top four. I'd, I'd actually be surprised if Clemson wasn't four. I, I think four is probably where Clemson should be. They have the weakest schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they should be four. Uh, I can go either way. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to – I'll go ahead and guess that it's going to be LSU 1, Ohio State 2. I think you're going to go the other way on that. Yeah, uh, ever so slightly. And uh, – Next week, we are going to wait until after the playoff rankings to record because we don't want to be speculating on this. I say, I say we it. just record two separate podcasts, one with Ohio State 1 and then one with Ohio State 2. And just <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. Take the one. We, could, we, we, we could do it segments, but uh, to doing this twice would be a lot of work. This, I think if we did that, we would want to hope the first one was the one we used because the second one we might be a little delirious slightly by the end of it. Uh, the NCAA announced Tuesday that it has moved to start the process of updating its policies to allow student athletes to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. Uh, we knew this was coming. Uh, Gene Smith, the Ohio State uh, athletic director, he's been the co-chair of a working group that has been uh, working to address this issue. They made recommendations to the NCAA on Tuesday. Uh, the Board of Governors, which is actually chaired by Ohio State President Michael Drake. So a lot of Ohio State influence in terms of how this thing is ultimately going to play out. Uh, but you know, the NCAA coming out, making a statement that you know they are going to move forward in this direction, but it's still unclear what that actually means. I mean, I'll be honest, and I think you're kind of in the same boat, you know, reading the NCAA's announcement on Tuesday and uh, still not exactly sure how this is going to play out. Uh, you know, I think it's inevitable and already was inevitable that we're moving toward a space in which student athletes are able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. Uh, but the question is, what kind of restrictions is the NCAA trying to place on that? Uh, you know, does permitted to benefit? That doesn't necessarily mean free reign to get paid. Uh, they still want to leave a clear line of demarcation between college and professional sports. Which, like, it's good difficult. luck. Yeah, I mean, one way or another, uh, this is going to be complicated. Uh, there's going to be consequences. Uh, no matter what side of a fence you are on here, uh, there's going to be both positive and negative consequences of how this plays out. Uh, and it's probably something we'll talk about more in the future when it starts to become a little bit more clear what's going to happen. But uh, definitely going to be very interesting to see how this whole conversation plays out. Yeah, it seems like we have an idea of where about they might end up, and it's going to end up with people being able to make money for their name, image, and likeness. Now, <laughs> the two key parts that we don't know, we don't know how they're going to get there, and we don't know what it's going to look like when they get there. 
So I think that we all have an eye, and this is the next step in them deciding, they're, they're putting it out there that they are going to take those steps to, to look at there and advance toward there. But I'm going to be honest, I have, I, like, I have an idea of what they might end up, what it might end up looking like. But this is this is get this is the potential to shake up the sport in a way that we haven't seen in, in many many years, and I know they want to minimize that. So I wonder how they're going to do it. And these are these are all the questions that Gene Smith and Michael Drake and all of them are dra- dealing with. Yeah, it's uh, it's not an easy job that they have to figure. It's this an impossible. All out. It's an impossible question to, to to try and check off every single box they want to check off. It's a matter of what are they going to give up? What are they going to give in? Yeah, I mean, I. It, it, we knew this was coming at some point. I think both you and I agree that it is time uh, for this. Chris uh, Holtman today said that, that he thinks it's a good idea too. Yeah, so uh, I think it is time for this. You know, I've, I've always been in this camp of thinking that players should be able to sign endorsement deals and should be able to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. There's no question that there are going to be side effects of that. Uh, there's going to be people with hurt feelings. It's not going to be fair to everybody, but... Uh, yeah, the, the big question is just going to be, you know, how how did the how does the NCAA regulate this? What limits do they place on it? And it's going to be interesting to see whenever the NCAA does implement its policies, do they fall in line with the laws that all these states are passing, or are people still going to try to pass stronger laws that supersede what the NCAA wants to be permissible? So. Uh, I think we'll, there's no question we'll be talking about this again in the future. When and it maybe we'll become, have any you know, idea of what's yeah, happening. Hopefully, <laughs> next time we talk about it, we'll have a little better idea uh, of what's going on. Uh, but now let's get into your questions because there's a lot of questions this week. We're going to get to as many as we can before we get kicked uh, out. Before we get kicked out, which will happen eventually. But uh, let's get let's get into your questions. Uh, we got a couple questions this week regarding. Justin Fields and how much he's going to play in the next couple games. Seattle Linga asked, since we can't afford to get Fields hurt, has there been any thought to sitting Fields against Rutgers? Daniel asked, do you think Justin Fields will play in the second half of a Maryland and Rutgers game? Uh, well, I, I'd say this. Uh, Seattle Linga's question, uh, no, I don't, I don't think they're going to sit Justin Fields against Rutgers. I think Justin Fields, unless... He suffered an injury in a Maryland game that prevented him from playing against Rutgers. Uh, I don't think that's something they're going to do. I think that would send the wrong message uh, to the team if they sat their starting quarterback for a Big Ten game. Uh, so I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, in terms of Daniel's question, do you think Justin Fields will play in the second half of Maryland and Rutgers games? Uh, I think there's a better chance against Maryland than there is against Rutgers. Uh Rutgers, quite frankly, I would be surprised if any starters played after halftime because I think that game is going to be a bloodbath. Uh, But I I think Justin Fields will play in those games. I do think the one thing, at least if I was Ryan Day, is I would severely limit how much I would run Justin Fields in those games because they don't need Justin Fields to run to beat Maryland or Rutgers. I would try to keep him out of harm's way uh, and have him mostly just pass the ball in those games. Yep, that's what they should do. Um, has there been any thought to sitting Fields against Rutgers? No, he will not sit against Rutgers. Do I think he should sit against Rutgers? Uh, maybe. But at the same time, if you're going to sit him in one of the games, 
you might not want to do it the one the week right before Penn State. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think there's any chance. Of no, that. no, no. I, I'm joking. There's 0% chance. Yeah. Uh, to the second part, no. If, if he's playing in the second half of either game, that would mean they are going significantly differently than how yeah, I Yeah, I mean, I could see him playing a little bit in the second half against Maryland, especially since it's coming off a of bye week and uh, they might let him out there. But I, I do think Rutgers is a game that uh, – the backups are going to get extended run because I just can't see that game being competitive in any way. Yeah, and it is worth noting that it seems like Ryan Day's kept him in there a little bit longer than maybe me or some other people would would imagine that he should. And there's a chance that he does then, but <laughs> no, the, I, the, the, they are going to kill both of those teams and he will play minimally. And he should run minimally, like you said. Buckeye KU asked... Well, he asked two questions. First of all, he asked, what will the spread be for OSU versus Rutgers? My guess is o- OSU by 56 and a half. Uh, I haven't really thought about it. I can't really argue with that. Uh, it's going to be a huge spread. And honestly, probably no matter what the spread is, I would still probably pick Ohio State because Rutgers is really, really bad. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, may, will, will the spread be, I don't know, 51 or so? But he says 56 and a half, and it's like, how would I even possibly think about putting money on Rutgers? No, I mean, it's good. It's, it's, I've heard people say, as I think there's a chance that that game just won't be on the board because it's so lopsided. It's, it's almost like playing an FCS team where there might not be a spread big enough for to get people to vote on Rutgers. So it's going to be an enormous spread. There's no question about that. Uh, Buckeye KU also asked, though seriously, we, we kind of just talked about this, but how should the coaches balance rest and health with staying sharp in the next two games before Penn State? I think it's a really good question. Uh, I think that is a, something that you have to take into consideration here is, um, you know, you don't, you, you don't want to just relax for three weeks before you play Penn State. So you, you, you need to play these guys some in these games. You can't you can't be so scared of getting guys hurt that you don't get out there and put them out there. But I do think if I'm Ryan Day, let's say somebody like Fair Munford, who I thought maybe had his worst game as a starter at Ohio State on Saturday against Wisconsin. And I think the reason why he didn't play well was because he's hurt. With someone like Fair... If he's not 100%, if I was the coaching staff, I would probably think about not playing him against Maryland or Rutgers and let him get healthy. Um, I think anyone in a situation like that, I, I would be – I would err on the side of caution with anybody who's dealing with injuries. You know, someone like Damon Arnett, he just seems like he just doesn't want to miss any playing time. No matter how big that cast gets on his wrist, they think he just wants to play, but – uh, I would err on the side of caution. If you have guys dealing with minor injuries, uh, you're probably not going to need them against Maryland and Rutgers. So I would probably rest guys that need rest. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing revelatory. It's just don't try, don't get guys hurt when you don't need to in games that already the, the, the you know the result of before they even kick off. Um, side note, I had asked Jeff Okuda this today on Tuesday – because he had, he had referenced that Jeff Halfley was doing this thing that he, um, to keep everybody fresh, and he said that he brought it from the NFL. So I followed up. He Basically, the way that Jeff Halfley is playing this, at least in practice, not in the games, is that early in the year, um, the Jeff Okudas, the Sean Ways, the Damon Annettes of the world were getting sort of the majority of the important reps, and sort of as the season goes on, the backups get, get more and more reps, and the starters take fewer reps in practice and save their bodies for, for the games. Um, 
and that's something that Okuda said that Jeff Halfley did in the NFL, and, and he's doing it here. And like that's just sort of how it goes. It, there's nothing revelatory about any of this. It's just that you don't want to get you don't want to play players when you don't need to because if some of your key players get hurt, all of a sudden this dominant team could have a crack. And the good thing about it is, and I, I asked Ryan Day about this on Tuesday, and it really should be true, more true after the next two games, is Ohio State's been able to play its backups in just about every game this year. And that's a really good thing going into that last stretch of a year where you're going to have Penn State, you're going to have Michigan, you're probably going to have a Big Ten championship game, and you're, you're probably going to have college football playoff games. Uh, it's a really good thing going into that stretch of a season that your backups have had all these opportunities to play and should get a couple more because that way if somebody gets hurt down the stretch you at least know what you have in those guys you've seen those guys play uh, and you will feel more confident in putting those guys out there whereas last year after the first four games of the season the backups really never played because the defense couldn't keep anybody from scoring and so they basically had to keep their starters in the entire game every game because they they weren't pulling away from anybody uh so i think uh that's a really good thing that they've been able to build that depth uh i certainly think they'll get that depth uh some run in the next couple games and then uh try to get these guys ready because it's going to be a potential murderer's row stretch with Penn State at Michigan and then a Big Ten championship game. Next question is from Go Bucks 1996. 1966. Or, or 1966. I, just, I think it's cut 30 years off of the age right there. Um, are the Buckeyes really this good, or is the Big Ten down this year, other than Michigan being Notre Dame? Hasn't been a whole lot of um, out-of-conference wins for the, con- for, for the Big Ten. And then Penn State nipping Pitt as an example of it not being as impressive. Eh, I mean, I I think sometimes we make too much of that. I think sometimes we make too much about who do they beat in the non-conference. I mean, you can only play who you play. You know, Ohio State was supposed to play TCU. They backed out of a game, so they, they didn't end up with a marquee non-conference game. Uh, yeah, Penn State wasn't that impressive against Pitt, but they've been pretty impressive against everybody else. Uh, you know, again, I Michigan walloped Notre Dame. Um, so, uh, you know, that's certainly an impressive one. I think the Big Ten's pretty strong. I think the Big Ten's pretty strong. Uh, I, you know, I think I think evaluating a conference just based off of a few non-conference games is not really the way to do it. I think you've just got to look at the way that they're playing and the type of football that we're seeing. And I think Ohio State is obviously one of the best teams in the country. I think Penn State is one of the best teams in the country. Uh, you know, I still think Wisconsin is a is a really solid team. And we've had a couple bad losses, and I think. You know, you've got some middle-of-the-pack teams here. I mean, Minnesota's looking way better than anyone would have expected. You know, Indiana's starting to come along and look like a good, solid team. You know, Iowa, uh, you know, Michigan's been down, but they're coming off their best game of the year. Uh, you know, there's, there's been a couple disappointments. Uh, Nebraska's been a huge disappointment. I thought Nebraska was going to be a lot better than they are. They're just not a good team. Michigan State is down this year. Uh, they're not a good team. Uh, Purdue is down from last year. Uh, they've had a lot of injuries, so that's a big part of that. Uh, I think overall, this conference, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm going to look at the Big Ten against the SEC or any other conference and say there's some conference that's way stronger than the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten's right up there, if anybody. Yeah, I think the Big Ten's fine this year. Um, I think that to answer his question, are the Buckeyes really this good or is the Big Ten down? It To me, the answer is the Buckeyes are, are really this good. Well, again, it would be different if they were beating teams by seven points. But when they're beating every team, they're playing by 24 points. Uh, Ohio State's been head and shoulders better than everybody they've played. So Yeah, I mean, that was exactly my point. Like, they... 
Sure. I, I, I think that if you look at their games against Big Ten opponents, I don't know. I'd argue that the Big Ten is fine. I don't think I'm as um, – I'm not buying as much stock in it as, as you are. Um, but at the same time, we've seen Ohio State play this exact schedule against similar non-conference opponents, against, this, against similar Big Ten teams, and not nearly be as dominant. The Buckeyes are this good. Like We've seen enough evidence. I'm not – I'm not shaky on that at all. The Buckeyes are really, 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 really good, and y'all should enjoy this. On a related note, at E27, Zeke15 asks, The Buckeyes have garnered almost unanimous praise in recent weeks, and yet many fans can't drop the narrative if the media is out to get the Buckeyes. Why do some Buckeye fans want so desperately for this to be true? I don't know. Eddie, uh, I wish I understood that. Uh, I think a lot of people just like to be mad. I think a lot of people just just like to believe the world is out to get them. And I think that's very true in Ohio State's fan base, but truthfully, I think it's true just about everywhere. Um, I covered Clemson before this. Uh, Clemson loves to do the underdog. Uh, Everybody's out to get us. Nobody gives us any respect. Uh, I think it happens in a lot of places. I, I think most of it is not true. Uh, but people who think that ESPN hates Ohio State, uh, I think that's just ridiculous. Uh, trust me, they make a lot of money whenever they have Ohio State on TV, so they do not hate Ohio State. Uh, I don't think the media is out to get the Buckeyes. Like you said, I don't think uh, there's really anybody criticizing Ohio State right now. Uh, I think you know probably some of the stuff last year uh, – Depending on your stance on that, there were probably a lot of people who felt like the media was out to get the Buckeyes. But this year, uh, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find anybody that's really given a lot of criticism to Ohio State right now. Yeah, and to answer your question, like why do people desperately want this to be true, like you said, this is this is this thing in every fan base. Like I'm a lifelong West Virginia fan. Let me tell you, there's no fan base that thinks that the media is out to get them like West Virginia fans. Like none. You, like they're the exact same as Ohio State fans in, in that regard. I, I grew up. I, I grew up in New England, and people think people up there constantly think that everybody's out to get their teams, even though they've all won championships in the last fifteen years, and uh, they've all been really successful. People always think everybody's out to get the Patriots and the Red Sox. Yeah, they're, that's just the life of a fan. There is. I think that's, that that'll be the case forever. It would be the case if Ohio State was 8-4 and four right now. It would be the case if they're 12-0. and 0. If they're, they win the national championship, it'll still be the case. And, 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 and I think, you know what, I think if you're Ryan Day, uh, if the players think that, you don't mind. If it keeps a chip on their shoulder and gets them thinking Ohio against the world, I don't think he minds about that. Uh, R-K-Y-L-E-T-83, I'm spelling it. Reichlet. I don't know. I made that up. Uh, I don't know. Um, Ar- Kyle T. Either way, you asked, uh, given the high likelihood of Ohio State versus Penn State being the playing game for the Big Ten East titles, what are your thoughts on that matchup as things stand? Do you think this will be the first major test of the season, or will this be more of the same? <laughs> well, well, the first major test coming the second to last regular season. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we we've said it about five times this year that this is going to be the first major test, and it has yet to materialize. Uh, it's not going to be either of the next two weeks, so I can tell you that. I tell you, uh, Maryland, neither Maryland nor Rutgers will be the first major test of the season. So, uh, in that regard, I say yes. I do. I mean, you you had been on it for weeks, Colin. That you 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 had said you thought Penn State was going to be a tougher test than Wisconsin. So, do I believe Penn State will be a tougher test than Wisconsin? 
I, I do believe it will be a tougher test than Wisconsin. I think, uh, you know, they, they've got a better passing offense than Wisconsin, which get, I think they've got a good pass rush, which may which yes. should be able to test what might yeah, be I mean, a weakness for Ohio got some State. Really good players, Yetro yeah, Grossmatos, Micah Parsons. Ooh, um, I'm letting you defense. say his name because I, I don't know if I got it right, but I did. Said it fast, best. which really made me think that you had it. Yeah, um, you know KJ Hamler. We were actually asked about him as well uh, by C ninety two nine ninety six P asked about uh, KJ Hamler and how Ohio State will cover him. Uh, that's when we'll probably get into a little bit more in a few weeks when they're actually going to play Penn State. Uh, but just in regards to that matchup, as things stand right now. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's any question Ohio State's going to be favored to win that game, especially being at home. Uh, I could see, I'm guessing that, that they'll probably be at least 10-point favorites for that game. But I also know the way the last three games between Ohio State and Penn State have gone. They've all been absolute wars that have come down to the end of the game. Uh, so I think if, if, if there's going to be a real test in this regular season, of course you don't cross off the Michigan game as being a potential test, but I think, you know, that is the game for sure that I look at and say, this is, this is one game that I think could be a real test. I do think they'll be more competitive than Wisconsin. Uh, would it shock me the way this Ohio state team is playing? If Ohio state wins decisively? No, it, it wouldn't, but uh, I do think it's a real test. Uh, I, I do think that's a game uh, that still has the potential to be very challenging for Ohio state. Yeah, it, it, it depends on your definition of test. I think Wisconsin was a test for Ohio State, and Ohio State just happened it to pass it with flying colors. Um, I think that Penn State will be a, a similar test. I would pick Ohio State to win that game handily too, but at the same time, that's a test. It just so happens that Ohio State has passed its tests better than yeah. they passed its tests at any point in recent years. And I think that's a really good point you make, Colin, because I think any time you, you blow out teams the way Ohio State is blowing them out, people to start to look at if they haven't played anybody they haven't played anybody but at some point that's no longer true at some point it's just that you're so good that you're just beating everybody that way you're just so much better than everybody you're playing um so i agree i think wisconsin was a test i think you know michigan state to a lesser extent was a test and nebraska to a lesser extent was a test and and i think ohio state just keeps passing the test they just keep acing them there's one test i'm looking forward to that they won't even have until they make a bowl game that's them against an elite quarterback um we're not going to see that so like if we're talking a major test like i think i would say sean clifford is probably going to be the best quarterback they faced all year he's not elite but i would say he's better than any quarterback they faced this year i think the words major test don't actually mean major test i mean i think they're code for close in the fourth quarter correct in which case i would say no but i still think it's a test just not i wouldn't i I think the way that ohio state's playing right now i'm not going to pick it to be close in the in the fourth quarter that said it's a really good team. And but recent history would suggest re- that. Recent history would also suggest that, well, history would suggest that a team does not go through the entire regular season winning every game by at least three touchdowns. Absolutely. So hypothetically at some point, they're going to have a really close game in the second half. We just haven't seen it yet. Uh, Chipperson1 asked us, any idea what network the Ohio State-Penn State game will be? No, we don't know that. But if I'm gonna, if I was gonna bet on it, I would bet on Fox at noon because it's a good bet for any game. This yeah, year. I mean that's as we've seen, Fox has been very committed to its strategy of putting the best games at noon. If you look at the ratings, it's worked, and so I think the only way that won't be a Fox noon game is if 
by by some chance in a contract, ABC gets the first pick that week, in which case I could see it being a free 30 ABC game. Uh, I don't think it'll be a night game. Uh, late November, you very rarely see a night game in the Big Ten. So uh, I would strongly suspect it will be Fox at noon. Um, maybe a free 30 ABC, but uh, I would think that being maybe the marquee game of the year in the Big Ten, that Fox is certainly going to want that one. Uh, Lamplighter asked about any chance that either the Gophers or the Hoosiers could take down Penn State. Uh, same thing with Michigan and the Hoosiers. Uh, I think there's a chance. I mean, I, I do think – I'll say this about Minnesota. I, I'm more bought in on Minnesota now than I've been at any point this year, but I still think they're not as good as their record. Uh, I think if you look at who Minnesota has played, Minnesota hasn't played one of the Big Ten's top, team yet, top teams yet. So – uh, I think Minnesota's probably going to lose at least two games in November. Uh, I think the competition's going to get better. I'd be surprised if they beat Penn State, uh, but they've played well enough that you certainly have to give them a chance at this point. And then Indiana, you know, their team, when they played Ohio State, got blown out by Ohio State. Of course, they didn't have uh, their quarterback, Michael Penix, in that game. So if he's healthy down the stretch, that gives them more of a chance. But they, they've been they've been on a roll lately. They They've started to look more competitive. I still don't think they're at Penn State's level. I still don't think they're even at Michigan's level. So I'm not going to pick Indiana to win either of those games. Uh, but I think they have a chance. Yeah, I I would pick both of those teams to, to enter their games against Ohio State, having having not lost since today's date. The same time, so I'm just like looking. We, we talk about Ohio State's end-of-the-season schedule uh, with Penn State and then Michigan. Like, Michigan's is like sneaky, a little difficult with Michigan State that uh, Michigan State at home, then Indiana on the road, then Ohio State at home. Like, I think that's a little harder. That's a little bit more difficult than it would be um, against uh, with with Indiana in that mix where they might actually be a pretty good. I offense. think the surprising thing about that now is that Indiana looks like a tougher game in Michigan State. <laughs> yes, and uh, <laughs> because I think. Indiana and the Big Ten East hierarchy has moved ahead of Michigan State for this season. And, uh, you know, Mark D'Antonio's seat is starting to get a little warm up there at East Lansing, which I didn't expect coming into the year. Luke Fickle's uh, below with a blowtorch. (laughs) We will see about that. Uh, Let's keep going here. Guggenheim's asked about, should we be concerned about the offensive line's ability to pass protect? Uh, Run game has looked the best it's been since 2013-14. I agree with that. Uh, but it seems like the pass protection has been spotty against a few of our tougher opponents. This is one that's come up a little bit recently. I still don't see it as a huge concern. They did give up five sacks in the last game. So uh, they were going against a really good defense. Uh, so I think it's probably reasonable to expect uh, a few issues there. Uh, I definitely agree that the run blocking has been the strength of this offensive line. The pass protection is still – it's had, it had their ups and downs, but I don't see it as a huge issue. Like I said, I think one of the big issues in this last game was I think Thayer Munford was not healthy, um, and, and I think if he can get healthy, I think that makes a huge difference uh, being that left tackle. Uh, I'm sure there's some things that they can work on here during the bye week, um, but I don't see it as a huge issue. And it certainly helps when you have an elusive quarterback like Justin Fields who can keep plays alive even when there's some pressure in his face. It's funny because if you look at all the numbers about Ohio State, they would all pretty much say that Ohio State's one of the best teams in the country, except for sack rate. They give up way more sacks than maybe you'd expect from a team of this level. Personally, I think 
there are a few things I would look at. One, if Thayer Munford is not healthy, I think left tackle all of a sudden becomes a, a pretty significant problem down the stretch in terms of pass blocking because he was still pretty good against in the run. But listen, he had three. He had two guys that just completely blew by him and then there was a third it was when Justin Fields really got lit up up the middle um, that, that the, the line was shifting to the right Ohio State's offensive line there there Munford was engaged on a double team he should have come off on the linebacker and he just didn't and Justin Fields got clocked like that's one of those moments where he has to yes know better but um I'm looking at I'm looking at Thayer's ability to do that. Um, I think that the rest of the line, honestly, it's been pretty pretty solid. They have had a couple moments where they've just gotten beat. Like I can think of Wyatt Davis and Brandon Bowen just getting straight up beat, but it's not a common occurrence. Um, to me, it's really a lot of it is, has has to do with Justin Fields really holding on to the ball long because they want him to do that in certain situations, and also can Thayer Munford stay healthy? And and to be honest, like I think it's it's. On a team with zero issues, it's something you have to watch. But it's not something that I think that people should be overly concerned about, about, about something that, that could really come up to bite them unless there's injury is something that's really going to hurt them long term. And it's like you talked about, that's some of it is like, yeah, it's like we have to like search for issues to find with this team now because uh, it's not like last year where you could just uh, complain about the defense all day, every day. Um, you know, I think... If this was last year, with last year, I don't even think we'd necessarily be talking about that um, because I think there were so many bigger issues on last year's team. Uh, so, so I think I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a major issue at this point. I think it's, uh, I think it's something that uh, is a minor issue and definitely something that if they don't continue to improve on, the teams could exploit. But uh, I think overall. Uh, I think they've been decent in that area. Not great, but I think they've been decent in that area. You want to rapid fire the rest? Because I know we're running up against our uh, library well, time we, here. we got a few minutes here. Let's, all let's, right, let's, all right. Um, there's nobody in this room after us, so I think we're Ooh. okay. Um, Smitty516 asked us about Chase Young, uh, the Heisman. We talked about this a little bit earlier, so we will rapid fire this a little bit. But he asked us, in your minds, what would it take for Chase to at least get an invitation to New York? Uh, being undefeated is critical, but what numbers would he need for the rest of the year? At what point might Ohio State begin to really push his candidacy? Uh, well, we, yeah, we kind of talked about this before. I mean, I think I think if the trajectory he's on, uh, I, I think he has a good chance of getting an invite to New York. I don't know if it... I don't know about his chance of winning, but I, I think the trajectory he's on, I think he's got a pretty solid chance of at least getting an invite to New York. Because if there's if there's a if there's a significant enough block of voters who are gonna vote him are gonna give him first place votes, that's enough to get him in, in an invite to the party. That's enough for him to be a finalist. I don't know if it'll be enough for him to win. Uh, but I think if he can keep playing at this level, you know, has big games against Penn State and Michigan obviously stays healthy, gets close to that 20-sack mark like you talked about earlier, I, I think there's a very good chance that he'll at least get an invite to New York. Would you agree with that? Yep. I think also the rest is question, what numbers we need. I'm just looking. He has five forced fumbles right now. I want to see if he can get more forced fumbles, more turnovers somehow. That's yeah. what I'm going to be watching. Other than sacks, that to me, that to me, those counting stats, uh, those are big. Smitty, you also asked about what point might Ohio State begin to really push his candidacy? Math Buckeye also asked as well about 
uh, reading that he needs help from OSU to promote him. What specifically can OSU do in order to promote his uphill Heisman campaign? I just don't really think Ohio State's going to do that. Uh, the, the, the vibe that I've gotten uh, even the past few days, I, I don't think Ohio State is going to go out of its way to promote Chase as a Heisman candidate. Uh, you know, it really surprised me if they did. No, I don't think they will. I mean, I do think the fact that Ryan Day came out uh, after the game on Saturday and straight up said, I think Chase is the most dominant player in college football right now. I think J.K. Dobbins is the best running back in the country. I do think that was sending a message to award voters. I do think that was wanting people to take notice of his players. But are, are they going to start? You know, you know, you see, you you'll see it. I'm an I'm an FWAA member. I will get random mail from some of the smaller schools promoting their Heisman candidates. Do I think Ohio State's going to do that? No. Do I think that you know I, you know, do I think they're going to make you know predator dolls or something for him like Orlando Pace pancakes? No, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, again, part of the problem is you've got three Heisman candidates. So uh, to really promote one of them, uh, I just don't see that happening. Uh, I don't know if they. I also don't. I also think that that's overblown. The idea that the school really needs to promote him. Uh, I, I don't really. I, I don't really think that makes that much of a factor, especially in you know the era of the internet and social media. Uh, I think certainly just the amount of coverage he gets in general from the national media uh, can definitely shape the narrative and, and the voting, but I don't think it really matters that much what Ohio State does from a PR standpoint. Nope, just got to get his name out there one way or another, whether it's be what. And right now his name's out there, and that's 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 why you know. And and, and again, it all it, all it really took was one big game because nobody was talking about this before Saturday. Uh, one big game, and all of a sudden his name is out there. You know, one big game on noon at Fox <laughs> is what got his name out there. We'll see if his name stays up there, uh, but right now he's right in the forefront of and that conversation. What I was saying is like you got to get his name out there one way or another, whether it's by what what he's saying, what Ohio State's pushing, whether what whether it be segments on College Game Day somehow, some way. Like Ohio State can help in that. They can. Um, they can't win him a Heisman. They can, they can, they can aid him, or they can just listen. Here's my idea. They just need to have a slogan. It can be what Damon Arnett said after the game, which was just give him the trophy. Shoot. <laughs> that, that's a slogan. Like, I mean, that that's votes. I'm telling you, that's money right there. Damon Arnett, uh, personal hype man, definitely. Uh, if the NFL doesn't work out for Damon, he can absolutely be somebody's hype man uh, because that man. Uh, has some gold quotes. Uh, Navy Buckeye ninety one asked, "When will Eleven Warriors be selling a Predator T-shirt?" That's above our pay grade. Uh, I am not involved in uh, T-shirt sales or any of that here. Um, I do know that that uh, there are certain restrictions based on what we're allowed to uh, directly promote in terms of Ohio State stuff in terms of T-shirts. Uh, but I'll, I'll I'll leave those questions to the people who make those decisions, not me. Making a T-shirt based on the name of a current player seems against some sort of NCAA violation. And and there was also trademark. somebody in the comments also pointed out that uh, Predator is a Disney trademark, so Disney could potentially come after Eleven Warriors. It'd be great if Ohio uh, State well, and so. Disney came after Eleven Warriors. That would that would be that cool. was actually what the yeah. comments said. So yes. I don't remember who said that. I did not write that in my notes, but. Uh, uh, we'll see about that one. Uh, 
Chris, this this question is something. Uh, Chris asked if we were to split the Heisman Trophy into three pieces and give one to Chase, one to J.K., and one to Fields, which piece would go to which person and why? I'm just going to go nomadic Buckeyes answer in the forums. He said, Fields gets the ball, Dobbins gets the legs, and Chase gets the head because the Predator collects skulls. What do you think, Colin? <laughs> Am I supposed to one-up that? Because I Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a pretty good answer. Uh, I cannot say that's something I've given any thoughts. Uh, so we'll just go for nomadic Buckeyes answer there. I well, think that one works. Here's why we're going with it, because there's not a better answer. He no, just, it is. He just said the best answer is. out there. Yeah, I agree. Respect. It's a good answer. Good good for you, the nomadic Buckeye. Uh, Silver Sniper asked, why is Olave not starting over Mac? Why is Browning not starting over Borland? Uh, as objective observers, can you shed some light on this? With the opinion here that they're not starting the best players and, and they're taking snaps away from them. Before you answer... Just don't explain it. At both positions, are they starting the best player? I would say no. I would too. Uh, I think specifically at receiver. I think that one in particular, uh, we mentioned earlier uh, that we both think he's the best wide receiver on the team. Uh, I think Olave's performance on Saturday kind of forces their hand in that regard. Uh, we also don't know how healthy Austin Mack can be for the rest of the year. You know, talking to Chris Olave after the game, he indicated that when Austin first suffered that injury, that he, he thought it was a bad injury. Uh, he didn't say what it was, but um, you know, we'll see how healthy Austin Mack is for the rest of the year. Um, I do think Chris Olave is not only their best Z receiver, I think he's their best receiver, period. So uh, I do think he should be playing the most snaps at that position. Uh, with that being said, I think Ohio State likes having a rotation there. I think if Austin Mack is healthy, they're both going to rotate and play significant snaps, regardless of who starts. Uh, there's going to be a rotation there. I do think Austin Mack's a good player when he's healthy. I think he's probably the best blocking receiver on the team. Uh, I don't think he has the kind of playmaking ability as a receiver that Olave does. Uh, so Olave's the guy I'd want on the field. Um, you could potentially even put him on the field together in some situations. You could move Mack back to the X receiver spot that he played last year, but they've got Ben Victor. They've got Garrett Wilson there. Uh, probably don't need to do that. Um, so I would I would start Olave over Mack. Uh, the middle linebacker one, uh, I, I, I think that one is maybe not quite as clear-cut as people think it is. Uh, I think Barrett Browning is certainly more talented than Tough Borland. I think he's certainly a better athlete, uh, has the ability to do things that Tough Borland does not. But I thought Tough Borland played pretty well against Wisconsin on Saturday. Uh, he, you know, Tough played twice as much as Barron in that game. Barron was also coming off an injury, so I imagine he was on a bit of a pitch count in that game. Um, but I don't really see that one changing at this point. I think. Uh, Barron's played well enough that it, if it was going to change, it would have changed by now. Um, so in the, in the question of why, you know, I, I do think there's some seniority there. But I also think they view them as rotations. It's not – no matter what happens, if both, if both of those positions, if both of those guys are healthy, they're both going to play regularly. Uh, I think sometimes maybe a little too much is made of who starts – the question I continue to have, and it remains a question because we haven't seen it, is in the fourth quarter of the game on the line, is Chris Olave on the field? Is Baron Browning on the field? If I was the coach, those are the guys I'd want on the field with the fourth, in the fourth quarter of the game on the line, but they haven't been in that position yet for us to see it. I think no matter um, 
at least at wide receiver, no matter who they have, as long as they continue to bring in consistently great recruiting classes, that the wide receiver rotation is not going to go anywhere. Correct. And I think that right now where they're at, where KJ doesn't really have a backup, and where they were at on Saturday where Olave didn't have a backup, I don't think that they like that. I no, think that they I would prefer. So I think they would prefer to have a backup there. Um, and I know that Olave's stats look better now. Personally, I think Olave's performance on Saturday maybe showed why you don't necessarily need the rotation um, in the way that they've sort of they, they, they've used it in recent years. I think that he showed that he he deserves more playing time. Personally, if I was Brian Hartline. Maybe there's a reason why I'm not Brian Hartline, but if I were Brian Hartline, I'd be playing. But you didn't I, play in the NFL, so I didn't. That, you know, that's I was almost there, but but no, I, I, unfortunately, I did not. Um, but if I were Brian Hartline, I would get Olave more snaps. I think he deserves them. I think he's a better playmaker. I think that he's more important this offense than seeding. But the way they run their offense, I just don't expect that to change uh, much. And like you said on defense. I mean, Tuff's a two-year captain. Tuff's, a, Tuff's the guy, he's a quiet guy when he speaks to the media. I don't necessarily think he's a quiet guy when it comes to being in the locker room. I think he is the leader who they turn to when things are when things are difficult, when things are tough in the well, middle of the game. You could see it on fourth and three the other day when the center moved the ball. He was the guy up there yelling at the ref, pointing it out, saying, he moved the ball, he moved the ball. So I think on the field he's a much more vocal player than he is with the media. Yeah, and he's... I, he, like you said, he's not as athletic as Baron Browning. No one would ever claim that to be. I think that Baron Browning should play more than him, um, and and he has in in, in most games. Um, and I and I personally, I think at the end of the year, I think they will turn to Baron Browning in those situations against these athletic teams where you're going to need someone in the fourth quarter who has the athleticism of Baron Browning. We haven't seen that. And if it's not Baron Browning, if it seems like Tough Orleans in the wrong position, we'll criticize it. But personally, I think that they're going to have Baron Browning out there when it really matters and in those specific situations. That would be my guess, too. Uh, we're not going to know until we see it. That would be my guess, too. And I, I do think the one other difference there, too, is that I think for wide receivers, like we said, I think Chris Olave is the best wide receiver. I think Baron Browning is probably the best middle linebacker, but I don't think he's the best linebacker. I think the two best linebackers on the team right now are Malik Harrison and Pete Werner, and that shows in their playing time because neither of them have been coming off the field. Uh, Tuff Bourne's going to continue to have a role on this team as long as he's healthy because of the respect that they have for him, but that will certainly be the question. Uh, and there's certainly a valid argument if you think Baron Browning should be starting over Tuff Borland. I think a lot of people feel that way. Uh, so it's certainly a valid uh, argument that can be had. Uh, just time for a couple more here. Daniel asked, over under number of players who will declare from a draft this year. Uh, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'd probably put it at... Well, first off, I don't, I don't know the numbers, so I'd be totally making this up. I can say specific guys if you want. I think it's more interesting to look at specific guys. Yeah, um, well, I, yeah well, we talked about it. I think... I think well, I think I think opinions might have shifted because I think at the time you didn't think Sean Wade was going to declare. What do you say now? I'm still on defense on that. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably set it at I'd probably set it at somewhere around four or four and a half because um, I think Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, and J.K. Dobbins will all declare. I think Sean Wade is probably likely, but I don't I don't know that for sure. And then I think uh, I don't necessarily think anyone else is likely. To declare, uh, I think there are others who could, but there's not anyone else right now that I would point out as likely 
to declare for the draft. So I would probably set it at like four and a half. Um, you could argue that's too low just based on the fact that if, if you think, you know, there's going to be somebody who's a surprise, but I'd probably set it at like four and a half for the over-under. Yeah, I think, Garrett, I think personally, I think Sean Wade will go to the NFL. Um, like you said, it's not a guarantee. And when they used two corners the other uh, on Saturday, he came off the field and he, he didn't play as much and he didn't have as big of a role as he had in the other games. Other guys I'd look at, I'd look at Thayer Munford. You just never know. You never know with him. I think he's a really, I think he's a really good left tackle um, when he's healthy. It's just a matter. I think that that I mean, that's that's really the key when it comes to him. Um, I look at Baron Browning, and he's not he, he's not starting middle linebacker, but he's athletic enough to play in the NFL right now. Um, I don't expect that he'll leave, but he's the kind of guy you look at and you're like, I mean, there's not a hundred percent chance he's coming back, but I I. I I would heavily lean towards him coming back. Um, who else even is there? I mean, Pete Warner, I presume, will come back. Wyatt Davis, I think he'll have the chance to leave, but I, I would be always surprised if a redshirt sophomore with one year of starting experience on the offensive line leaves, uh, and the same with Josh Myers. So what would you set the over-under at? Well, to me, it just comes at, it, it comes to me where I'm not really even thinking about that. It, it's... Like it's to me, it's Sean Wade and Thayer Munford. Though I mean, those like I'm not even really thinking of other guys. So four and a half is probably the number then. If you think there's yeah five and yeah two that might. Declare. I think I would. I'd feel confident that what is it? Chase, J.K. and Okuda are gone, and I also feel pretty confident that Sean Wade's gone. So it's really a matter of will anyone else leave? And in which case, I would take the over. So we'll go. We'll go four and a half. We'll go four and a half on that one. Um, you know, you could argue the over might be the better bet, but uh, we'll go four and a half of that one. Uh, the Nomadic Buckeye, we've done this to you before. I'm sorry, but we're going to do it again. Um, you've asked us a question that we're not going to be able to answer in the amount of time that we have left because you have asked us, what do you think, given the new defensive setup and the offense under day, what the perfect 85-man scholarship roster breakdown uh, by number and position group is? That would probably take us 15 minutes to, to go through. Um, so you had yours. He doesn't even have a long snapper. Look at that. Yeah, he, yeah. What he are you is. doing to the McCullough yeah. family? Yeah, we'll just, we'll just run through yours real quick, and then you guys can, can mull it over, and we'll get back to this at some point. He has four quarterbacks, five running backs, 11 wide receivers, five tight ends, 15 offensive linemen, eight defensive ends, eight defensive tackles, 12 linebackers, nine cornerbacks, six safeties, and two kickers or punters. Um, what happened to the bullet, Dan? They're linebackers. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, maybe ask us that one again in the offseason uh, because I think it's something that would require us to, you know, really spend some time thinking about it. And I don't know that it's one that we can answer in a one or two minute uh, type of response. But we do appreciate the question, the nomadic Buckeye. We'll try to get back to that eventually. Last question T. Rich. 19045 asked us who do you think is the next high school player to commit to the Buckeyes uh, I defer to Zach Carpenter our recruiting insider on these questions but I think if we asked him he would probably say Troy Stilato right now the uh, 2021 wide receiver from Florida uh, I believe he actually posted something on uh, one social media channel Instagram Instagram or Snapchat or something Instagram Instagram I'm not good at any social media except Twitter, so sorry for sounding like Bill Belichick over here. But um, Snapface. 
yeah, snap face is what I was going to say. But, uh, yeah, um, I'll go with Troy Stilato because he actually posted on Instagram uh, on Tuesday that his commitment was coming sooner than later with an eyes emoji. And uh, there seems to be a lot of movement toward him coming to Ohio State. So that would be my guess. I don't know. They should probably try and get a running back. <laughs> running back would be good. Uh, Jameer, Jameer Gibbs or uh, Mayan Williams, but yeah. I also have don't, I, I know I have Zach no idea also when close. he was asked about the next 2020 commit in a recent uh, mailbag. And if you guys have questions for him that are recruiting specific, be sure to go to his hurry up and ask your questions in his comments because he answers questions over there every week and would really be the best guy to ask these questions to. But I know the last time he was asked about who he thought the next 2020 commit would be, he fought C.J. Stroud as a second quarterback for the class. So... Uh, that's a possibility too, but I think Troy Stilato is most likely. All right, we got it. We got to wrap up here. We're getting on an hour and a half again, uh, keeping you guys a little longer than we should be. So uh, we got to wrap this thing up and move on. Uh, no game this week, but we're gonna have plenty to talk about next week. We're gonna have college football playoff rankings. We're also going to talk a little bit about basketball next week, which Ooh. gets Colin excited, our basketball beat writer, Colin Haas-Hill, uh, because next Wednesday is the basketball team's season opener uh, against Cincinnati. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of a basketball preview next week as well. Uh, we'll also, of course, preview the upcoming game against Maryland, but spoiler alert, neither of us are expecting that game to be close. Uh, so we're going to have plenty to talk about next week, as always. Uh, look for our uh, Monday forum thread on 11 Warriors to ask your questions, or you can DM them to us on Twitter, uh, email us, whatever. Uh, you want to ask your questions, we'll try to get to them. And uh, make sure to stay tuned for 11 Warriors. We're going to have a lot more coverage coming up. Uh, it's been a fun season to watch so far. I know for all of you that are Ohio State fans, and uh, we're going to be continuing to follow it and coming at you with weekly podcasts all season and beyond. So, uh Thanks, as always, for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week.